Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast. Every week, we get a chance to share the love of Jesus through music, art, and biblical teaching, and we're so glad that you're here to be a part of it. Let's get started. Well, welcome to Renaissance. My name is Jeff. I am one of the leaders here. Um, my Christmas, I have one word to sum it up, um, and it sounds wrong to say it, but I, I'm not embarrassed to say this, but this word sums up best probably my Christmas experience this year, uh, lazy. Lazy. Isn't that great? I, so many people are like, I wish for lazy, I'm telling you. I mean, I, I, I think I left, um, this is too much information, but I'm going to tell you anyways. There was one day I did not put on pants. I'm just telling you. <laughs> too much. Anyways, it was lazy. I'm just saying. And I was okay with it. On, on Christmas, I sat out on the back patio because it was so nice out and I'm reading books. I got myself a couple books for Christmas. Um, and that's my favorite thing to do is to read. And I wanted to kind of open today by just sharing with you um, a small story that I read in one of the books. So I'm doing some prep work for some sermon stuff that we're going to do the first part of next year. And I'm reading through some books and I'm reading a book by a guy named John Tyson. If anyone knows who John Tyson is, he's a church leader, church planter, pastor in New York City. Um, and he's writing a book. And in the introduction of his book, he tells the story of one day him and his teenage son went out for a drive. They're just trying to spend time together. And John thought it a good idea to actually pull over to this little country um, cemetery and park the car and ask his son to get out and to just, you know, reverently walk among the tombstones and reading the names and just come back in about 45 minutes and let's just talk a little bit about maybe some things that you, you learned. And, and so his son is out there walking around and he's doing the same thing and they, they reconvene back at the car um, and he asks his teenage son this, did you learn anything in your time in the cemetery? And he says, I learned this, there are a lot of husbands and wives that are buried next to each other in the cemetery. And oftentimes we'll even see some of their children buried in that cemetery as well. He goes, did you learn anything else? And he says, Dad, I learned this. Oftentimes people, people die really young. And, um, you know, John's thinking he's scratching on something here that's just a profound moment. He's not looking for any, like, dead poet society, like, aha moment or whatever. But he's just wanting to sort of um, teach his son about the, the brevity of life and just the importance of living a life and and he talked about the date that you'll see on the front of the tombstone. The first part, it's the date that a person's born, and then that second date of when the person dies. And, and we all know this story, but that dash that's in between those two dates, that, that is our life. And, and him and his son were talking about that. And I got to thinking about that. I mean, if we were to zoom in on what that dash is for you and I, um, I see that, that our life is just made up of a series of, of years just stacked on top of one another. And so we'll put, we'll put 2019 in that dash this year. And, and if the Lord wills it, we'll put 2020 in there and we'll just continue, right? But in those dashes of our life, they're filled up with high points and low points, this great exuberance and much sorrow in, in all of that. And this thing that I'm trying to do this year, and which is why I bring this story up in the first place, is, is I look forward to next year, and I have a, 
a, um, an anticipation for next year that I haven't had in a long time. And I don't know if we'll get a chance to talk about that, but I'm a person who's very much looking forward to what next year might bring for me. And I'll even say this, what next year might bring for us as a church. And I wonder if I don't feel that way as the pastor of this church, that maybe God is going to show us something brand new for next year. I don't know. So I have much anticipation in that. But I thought as I consider next year that it'd probably be best for all of us to do this, to consider last year. I mean, to spend time looking at the 2019 dash that's going to be added there and look at the high points and look at the low points and consider. And, and I don't know about you, but when I flip through the pages of like that year for me in my mind, I'm, I'm desperately trying to underline things that I don't want to forget. You know, I'm dog-earing pages that I can flip back to quickly when I see where God was really active and doing something in my life. And there's other points in my life which, which are filled with great sorrow. And yet in the midst of all of that, and I can't explain it. God was right there. In the midst of much sorrow and suffering, God was there with me in that. And I'm, I'm trying to remember all of these things so that when I look to next year, and if we write that list of resolutions, or what I like to call the list of lies that we write every year, right? Things we're going to do and never do. I'm trying to say, Lord, what, what, do you, what would you have me remember from last year? What would you ask me to grow in for next year? See, if I could confess something to you, I, I, much of my youth and almost all of my 20s was, was spent wandering, meandering through life. I, I would wake up after a New Year's party, uh, I would wake up New Year's Day, and, and, and all I would have to show for my previous year was that I had a W-2 that showed that I was gainfully employed. Yay! One year I woke up with a marriage certificate. Yay! I got married. Still married, by the way, 23 years later. I married up, throwing that out there. But I wanted more than just pieces of paper to cease to show some of the things that I've done. I wanted my life to actually mean something. And so back to the story with John and his teenage son as they were talking about this visit to the cemetery. His son asked this poignant question that I lay before you. He says, Dad, how do you, speaking of the dash, the dash of our life on the tombstone, how, how do you live a good dash? Or how do you know what a good life is? And, and, and John in that moment said, that there, son, is the greatest question a man could ever ask. How do you know what a good life is? Now, I want to say this just by preface, that it's not necessarily achieving all the goals and plans and desires that we might make for ourselves, which we can do that. And I think that's great. And to strive towards those things is super important. I have many goals set for my next year. And no, I'm not telling you what they are. I want to achieve those things. But most importantly, I would hope that I would live a life in 2020 more closely connected to God, more filled with faith than I've ever been, hoping that God would use my life to give him glory. That is what we believe our lives are supposed to be about, right? That the chief end of man is to glorify God and his son Jesus. And I, I want my life to push in that direction. I'm, I'm asking God to just lay before me, what would you have me do that I might live this life for you and your glory? So last year, I look at some points where I, I was with God. I saw God with me doing these wonderful things, great things, saw these low points. And I'm looking at all of that and saying, okay, God, where do we want to keep the trajectory going? Where do we want to push a little more effort into? What, what else would you like to see for me? 
I think we prayed that earlier. You know, God, what do you want to see for our next year? And so this exercise that I've been going through these last many days is just sort of leafing through the journal, my mental journal of my life this last year. Does anyone here journal like on paper, like write in a diary? So I, I do that as well. I'm not real good at it. In fact, I pulled one of my journals out this morning as I was thinking about this, and I opened to the first page, and I had a journal entry from February of some year, and I flipped the page, and it was October all of a sudden. <laughs> like, I'm terrible at writing down the little details. You know what I mean? But I know this, and this is what I want to start with. Um, there is a journal about your life that has every page written with everything imaginable that's happening to you and through you that's kept in a place somewhere away from here. It's a book that we call the book of life, the book of living. And the first time we see this book is in the book of Exodus. It's in Gen or Exodus chapter 32. And what we're seeing in this story in Exodus chapter 32 is that God, in fact, has a book. He's writing this book and he's keeping this book about our lives, not just big people, right, important figures, kings and queens and dignitaries, but all of our lives. In fact, God is writing a book about our life give you the backstory of what's happening in Exodus chapter 32. There's a man named Moses. Maybe you've heard of him. And he's been used by God to sort of rescue God's people out of slavery and bondage in Egypt and is bringing them into the promised land. Now on their way, as they're sort of wandering through the desert to get to that place, Moses stops at a mountain and says, stay here. I'm going to go up and talk to God. And they're like, okay. So Moses disappears for a while. And he goes up on this mountain, and you know this story. This is where Moses is given the Ten Commandments, the tablets of stone. He ends up walking down, shows them, whatever. Okay. But while Moses is up on the mountain, he stays there a little longer than God's people thought he should. In fact, he's up there about 40 days. And at some point, God's people get tired of waiting for Moses to come down. And so they forsake God. They forsake the God who rescued them and delivered them out of Egypt. And they start worshiping this golden calf that they sort of fashioned out of some jewelry that they dragged out of Egypt as they were walking out. With great revelry and boisterous applause and worship, Moses hears the, the noise from the base of the mountain as they're partying. It's as if the ball had dropped in Times Square. You know what I'm saying? Yay! And Moses goes, what on earth? And he runs down, and when he sees God's people bowing before and worshiping this golden calf that they'd created, his heart broke. He saw that God's people, willing to follow him out of slavery and into the promises of God, have forsaken God and sinned against him by worshiping this golden calf. And so Moses marches straight back up the mountain to talk to God. And this is where we see this story. Exodus chapter 32, verse 32. We see this. Moses, standing before God, says this. God, if you would now forgive their sin... He says, forgive the sins of your people, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. This is the first instance of this book of the living or the book of the lives of God's people that we see referenced in all of scripture. And, and, and know this, first off, we see some sort of maturity in Moses' life here. Just may I remind you of who Moses was when God first asked him to go to Egypt. 
hey, Mo, I need you to go to Egypt, talk to the king over there, and tell him to let my people go so they can worship me in the desert. And what does Moses say to God when asked to do so? He says, no. He says, I don't want to do it. He feels unqualified to do it. He doesn't feel like anyone will listen to him. He feels uh, immature. He says he has a stutter or something. There's some sort of impediment that maybe he thinks precludes him from being used by God in such a way. Now picture this. After following God, seeing God do all these miracles and signs and wonders, he gets God's people out. Now Moses, as he's matured before God, he walks right up the mountain and says, God, I need you to forgive them. I mean, let's just first talk about the maturity that Moses is showing. And may this be a point of of remembrance for us, that should we choose to follow after God, to be disciplined to follow him, God will bring a maturity to us. Uh, This is so helpful. And you will find yourself doing things and asking God of things that you could never fathom beforehand. A year ago, two years ago, Moses never would have considered this. But a close relationship with God brought, brought a boldness to him. He says, God, I need you to forgive their sins. You can blot me out of your book of life if that's what's necessary. This book that God is writing, it's his book, and he's the one who's writing in it. So you can imagine what's contained in the pages. Would you like to know what's in the pages? Hear me. Everything. Everything, every consideration, every thought, every deed. In fact, David, the the psalmist, writes in Psalm 56 about God. He says in verse 8, he says, "You You have kept count of my tossings, or could be translated wanderings. You've put my tears in your bottle, which is just a poetic way of saying, God, you were there even when I hit my lowest lows and found myself in great sorrow, that you were there. And all of these things, he says, are they not in your book? Every little thing that we think or do or consider is contained in God's book. In fact, David continues to almost infer that not only is God sort of scripting or writing down the things that we do in our life, but we get the impression from what I'll say next that God is even writing some things in the pages of our book for us to do. Psalm 139, it's the one that opens with this famous passage, search me and know me, O God. It's my favorite, favorite psalm. If you get a chance to read any psalms, it's Psalm 139. It's so good. It just speaks to how God knows everything. And in the middle of all of this, David is talking to God who sees and knows everything. And in verse 16 says this, that your eyes have seen me in my unformed substance. Just a couple of verses before he's talking about as I was being knit together in my mother's womb. So hear me, before I was even born, God, you saw me and in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me. So not only is God writing the things down, I mean, whatever that looks like, of the things that we do. But he's also scripting for us things that he would desire us to do, things that he would want us to do. This book of life or the book of living, if you will, is a memorial to all the people on the earth that God keeps on our behalf. Since you're not such a good journaler journaler like myself, God keeps one for us. 
But we go back to the story in Exodus 32. We see the story of Moses up the mountain, comes down, golden calf. Oh, no, goes back up the mountain and says, God, I need you to forgive their sins. And he asks God to do that. Back to verse 32. He says, if you would forgive their sins, and if not, please blot me out of your book. Here's what Moses is saying. God, you can take my life if you want. Just blot me out of the book of life. Just erase me if that's what's necessary. But I just want you to forgive their sins. In the Bible, we learn of this word called atonement. If you've heard of atonement, just sort of wave at me. Atonement's this principle. I heard a, a Bible teacher once say it this way. Atonement could be best understood if you say it this way, at one minute. Atonement at one minute. So you picture this perfect and holy and righteous God and all of broken humanity and sinful humanity over here. And we cannot be one with God unless we have atonement to bring us back together. This word atonement could also mean covering. Moses is asking God, allow me to cover their iniquities. Allow me to cover their sins, God. And if necessary, take my life. Did I mention Moses' maturity? There's a group of people that he was even unwilling to risk being made fun of for his stutter, and now he's willing to give his life for them. But God responds to him, and he responds to him strongly, and it's the only word that I can think to say what happens next. God responds to Moses in verse 33 and says this, but the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. What we're learning in this passage is that no man, Moses, can atone for the sins of another man. Husbands can't atone for the sins of their wives or their children. We can't atone for the sins of the person sitting next to us. What God is saying, no one can atone for anyone else's sin except for the substitute that God would give, he would say. You have to picture this. Moses is a sinful person. He can't give his life as a substitute for other sinful people. It just won't work. But there is this thing that Moses knows about. See, Moses wrote the book of Exodus, and he is its main character here. But he also wrote the book of beginnings that we call Genesis. And in Genesis chapter 2, Moses, who wasn't there, just so you know, but God gives him the story of how the world was created and how all humanity came to be. He's writing down the things that happened. And in Genesis chapter 2, 22, he tells the story, the strange story of a man named Abraham. Abraham was the father of a son, his only son. And for some reason, God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac on the altar. Now, just spoiler alert, um, Isaac is not killed in this story. We can all rest, right? A sigh of relief here. And we could even probably discuss maybe why God would ask Abraham to do such a thing. And this is now not that time to do that. I'm just telling you that. There is a time to talk about it. I don't want to do that right now. What I want us to see is what happens in the story. See, Abraham takes his son Isaac up to this mountain that God shows them and lays him out on this altar, if you will. And just as he's about to slaughter his own son, hearing from God to do so, God interrupts the story. And God speaks to Abraham again. He says, don't lay a hand on the boy. Don't touch him. And this is where we pick up Genesis chapter 22. And again, Moses would know this. So check this out. Verse 13, Abraham lifts up his eyes, right? After God had told him, don't touch the boy. 
And he looks around and behold, behind him was a ram, a ram caught in the thicket by its horn, horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and he offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So here's a substitute that's taking place. Now, just so you know this, um, Abraham does not think this just to be coincidence or happenstance. Like it wasn't like a ram just sort of wandered through in the most inopportune time of his life to in the middle of this sacrifice. No, what Abraham believes is that God sent this ram to be sacrificed instead of Isaac. And here's the substitute. Look what Abraham says. So Abraham, verse 14, called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. And as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. So no man can atone for another person's. The only atonement that can be given for something is if God gives the substitute himself. Now, like every great book that's ever been written, um, you know, the best authors use this thing called foreshadowing, right? Where they sort of lay tension into the story only to be resolved sometime later in the story. We as Christians know that Genesis chapter 22 is a foreshadowing that's taking place of a sacrifice of another substitute that takes place later. See, the ram that was substituted is a picture of Jesus that will be substituted for us. Listen, we are the Isaacs laying on the table, God demanding our very lives. And why is that? Because we have sinned against him. All through scripture, we learn that sin, when it matures, brings death. Because we have naturally come by our sinful disposition or behavior, we owe God our lives. And at the end of our lives, we will be judged through the book of our life on whether or not we are sinful or not. And I promise, and I'm here to tell you, we will be found guilty as sinners. (laughs) But God sends a substitute in his son, Jesus, like the ram caught in the bush and who is willing to give up his own life so that you and I, when we reach our end, God will look past our sins and forgive us. You see, Jesus is the greater Moses who asks God to forgive their sins. But whereas Moses was a sinful person and couldn't make such a demand upon God, Jesus, who has never sinned, can. This is my favorite part. I'm such a nerd. And so when God sends his son and Jesus dies on that cross, right, and he's put into the grave, since sin and death has no claim on Jesus. It can't hold him. The grave spits him out on the third day. I mean, that's how I picture it. I don't know. You picture how you want. I just know this. Death has no claim on Jesus because he's never sinned. And so God raises him back to death, to life. Now check this. That means that if we believe in that story, we have the opportunity to become new creatures, new creations. We get to be something new, which is my longest introduction ever to get to this point. And so as we go into the new year, I want you to consider how God has made you new. I want you to consider that if we're stepping into something brand new for us, that God is willing to overlook your sin through his son, Jesus, and through that has liberated you, much like the Israelites from the bondage and slavery. We've been liberated from sin, and we can live our lives, as we said earlier, as, as as a person who brings glory and honor to God in everything that we do. We just have to be people who look to God for direction. We have to be people who look to God for what he desires for us. 
in my studies this week, I learned something brand new. I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, they say, right? But um, God's people, um, the Israelites or the Jewish nation or the Jewish people that we would talk about today, they, um, they celebrate this thing um, in the new year. They have a New Year's celebration, much like we do, but theirs lasts two days, which I think is awesome, just so you know. <laughs> they have a two-day celebration for their new year, and they call the celebration Rosh Hashanah. Maybe some of you have heard this. And it's a celebration, it's a feast, they do all these kinds of really cool things, but I want to put your attention to two things that God's people do in their celebration of the new year. At some point in the middle of this two-day celebration, somebody grabs a, a ram's horn and blows it like a trumpet. Now, many of you know what this is called. This is called a shofar, and I don't know if anyone owns one of those, but this is a kind of a cool thing. And they will blow this shofar, hear me, 100 times in that two-day period. And why do they do that? Because all of those Jewish people are pointing back to the story that took place in Genesis chapter 22, where God sent a substitute for the sacrifice of Isaac. And the ram's horn is a reminder of, hear me, of God's mercy on them. And a hundred times they will blow this trumpet. They will blow this shofar and they will go, mercy, mercy. In my office this morning, as I was sort of walking, I pace when I practice my message and I'm pacing back and forth and I just stopped and I began to count steps like they were blowing the horn. And I was going, mercy, 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 21, 22, and 23, and I was considering my last year and all the shortcomings of my life, and I kept thinking God is still merciful and kind and mercy and mercy. And as I was looking forward to preaching this message about a hope-filled new year, I can't help but be overwhelmed with this reality. God is so merciful for us. He's given us mercy. He's given us his son Jesus, and our next year, we should be so excited to move into it. Except I think some people here feel like they just escaped 2019 like, a, like it was a car crash. And to be honest, I'm, it was for so, so many of you. I just want you to see the way these Jewish people who, who don't understand the ram to be Jesus, like we have a, a brighter understanding of that, but they at least understand the mercy of God. Mercy. So when you fall short, mercy. When you sin against God, mercy. When you're too short with your spouse, mercy. When you can't help your kids with their homework because you're too tired, mercy. Mercy, mercy, mercy. And we walk in this thing called God's mercy. And our next year will be no different. One of the other things the Jewish people do during their Rosh Hashanah celebrations, besides blowing the, the horn of mercy, is they go to this they gather together, they assemble together, typically at a body of water, and they all reach into their pockets and they empty them into the water. And some people even bring bread, which I'll get to in a minute, but they, they empty their entire pockets. I'm talking everything. They look for little pieces of lint and some people bring bread and they throw it into the water and it's a symbol of their previous sins for the previous year. As they begin to celebrate the new year, they take everything in them, off of them, and they just cast it into the water. And they do so because of this one passage by the prophet Micah, who says this, this is Micah chapter 7, verse 19, that God will, again, have compassion on us as they throw the symbol of their sin into the deep waters. God will tread on our iniquities underfoot. He will cast all of our sins into the depths 
of the sea, he says. They don't even understand that Jesus is the Savior. <laughs> and yet they understand that God is one who can remove our iniquities, can remove our sins. God is the one who operates in mercy for us. So, here's what I'm asking. Here's what I'm asking for me. I want to make lists of resolutions. I get, I'm doing that, just so you know. I've already mentioned that. But I'm looking at it differently this year. And, and maybe this is why I have such hope, because I see this story being played out so much differently in my life now. I just want you to know, I found some things in my life last year that just were not right. And I asked God to bring correction to me, and he has. And I asked God to help me get over some of these things, and you're wondering what they are. I'm not telling you. We're not that friendly. <laughs> I will say this. If you want to take me out for tacos, I'll tell you. But I get to pick the place. Anyways. So I just remember that God has been merciful in me and helping me overcome some things. I'm going to use that as a springboard to overcome even more things next year. And the sin and all the things that seem to weigh me down in my life, I'm just casting away. I mean, if God's not going to remember them, why am I carrying these things around? And I'm going to take that as an opportunity to look faith-filled and hope-filled for next year. And I want you to do the same thing. So tomorrow's Monday, I'm going to come into the office early, and I've already planned to do this. I'm going to get a piece of paper out, and I'm going to draw a line on it, just right across the page, and that's going to be my dash for 2019. And I'm going to consider with the Lord all of the high points and low, light, low points of my life last year that I had to go through, and I'm going to thank God for both of them. There's this bad teaching in the church that somehow if your life is going bad, somehow you've sinned against God and he's punishing you for it. Just for the record, Jesus has already been punished for your bad behavior. That's an amen, just so you know. <laughs> if your life's going in a bad place, it doesn't mean you've done something wrong. And, and honestly, these will, be, these will be mysteries that we'll carry with us into eternity. We won't fully understand why some of those things happen, but we will know this, that God has never left us. God will never abandon us in those things. And so I look at the high points and the low points. In my darkest times last year, God was there. And this dash of my life, I'll begin to thank God. And then I'll just look to next year. I said, okay, now, God, now what do you want to do? And I'll ask him to help me orchestrate a rule of life. I want to grow in my relationship with people. I want to grow in my relationship with God. So I need more time in prayer and Bible study and all these things. And I don't know what your things are, but for me, that's what I'm doing. I'm sitting down saying, now what, God? If you're going to forgive my sins and make me new again, what do you want to do with this? And I look into the psalm writer 139 who says and you've even penned pages for me and i'm like lord i'm desperate to walk into those pages for you and to be honest i'm sick of writing my own pages anyone <laughs> hello
this idea that um, that God captures our tears, it just blows me away. I mean, just, I mean, it's one thing to be with a person when they're going through a sorrowful time, but to actually to say that God collects the tears as if they're somehow precious to him. I mean, for you and me, it's like grab a Kleenex, dot, 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 trash can. Trash can. Wipe it off on your sleeve. I'm not crying. I'm a man. Blah, blah, blah. You know, the whole thing. But not to God. He, it's like he comes along and grabs a hold of them. I'm just saying, man, if, if they're precious enough for him to keep, then they should be precious enough for us to remember and just to thank God for some of those things. Oh, it sounds so wrong. Sounds so wrong. But God is a God of mercy. I just want to pray for us. I want, I want you to, to really labor into next year with God. I know no one needs another thing to do, right? This is the time of year when Bible reading plans just explode on the internet. Right? Because so many people say, this year I'm going to read my Bible, right? How many? Anyone? Yes, read your Bible. Don't do it to a plan. I don't care. Do what you want to do. But we have to make choices. We have to discipline our lives into things. I mean, we discipline ourselves to lose the extra five pounds from Christmas. If you're willing to spend the $10 a month at Planet Fitness and, and go in there and spend time sweating on those diabolical machines like the Stairmaster and the treadmill. Did you know the Bible tells us that Satan invented the Stairmaster? It's a weird translation, but it's in there. <laughs> it's a true story. No one in their right mind would use that thing. Anyway, so... But we will, we'll sweat, we'll buy the gear, we'll drive in and we'll spend the time and we'll labor, we'll discipline towards those things. All I'm saying, ladies and gentlemen, is like, let's also do that towards the Lord as well. Know this, disciplines don't save you. You're not a better Christian because you do these things, but I promise you, your relationship with him will strengthen and, and you'll be like Moses. Your, your, the end of your year will look much different than the beginning of your year because you will be so much closer to him. You, you will be saying things, asking God for things that you never thought possible. I don't know what it is. I'm just saying, consider it, write it down and ask God to take you through it. Let's make some goals together, shall we? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for again for our time together and we ask that you bless the rest of this year, the few days that we have left and as we move into next year, God, that you would be with us in that as well. God, we thank you that we can gather and we can sing of all of your goodness and all of the things that you help us to overcome in our life. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who is the great substitute and sacrifice for us on our behalf. And God, we, we use that truth to fuel a real genuine worship and heartfelt thankfulness towards you. Even in our shortcomings, you're merciful, God. You're merciful. So God, we thank you for your mercy this year. We ask that you bless the rest of our time. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you for listening to the Renaissance Podcast. I hope that God has spoken to you through this message and that you're encouraged to continue pursuing Him. And I want to encourage you to take the next step in your relationship with God, which might be getting involved with a group of other believers. If you'd like to be a part of what's going on here at Renaissance, then please connect with us on social media or online at renaissancedecatur.org.